I'm Autumn Brown, an attachment theory skeptic and trifling hoe, <laughs> living on Dakota and Anishinaabe land, currently known as Minneapolis. I'm Adrian Marie Brown, a writer choosing every day not to be a cult leader, even though I have really fantastical and fact-based conspiracy theories. <laughs> I'm also a student of love and miracles an emergent strategist and pleasure activist living in the land of the Shikori, Skarure, Tuscarora, and Lumbee people. And this is How to Survive the End of the World. Our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. And we are back in the studio. It's true. So our last episode um, was a beautiful voice memo note experiment, but now we're back with our microphones <laughs> in a Zoom room. Not in baths. Not in bathtubs, not in backyards. Um, to continue our All About Love season in honor of Bell Hooks. And as per usual, we're going to start with a little check-in. Sister Adrian, yes. how are you this fine, beautiful day? Um. Overall, I'm really good. I've been going through a lot of shifts and changes in my life lately, some of which are going to come up in this episode. Ooh. And there's been a, a, a feeling of being in the rapids, like everything's moving really fast and me feeling like, oh yeah, I have to be up for that. I have to move really fast too because everything like this is the opportunity for change and I'm in the portal and I got to go. Mm -hmm. And just having this today... This week, just noticing I was feeling so exhausted. And I was like, girl, how much spiritual healing, world processing work can you do at one moment? Like, it's okay to slow it down. Maybe you can climb so, up onto a boulder in the rapids. Just yeah, like take a little just breath. like, let's pull off to the <laughs> side, get on the shore, lay out, dry out. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I, but it's one of those moments where I thought I was doing really good. And then some of my close people were like, hey, you, you're a little, it, it, it's a little spinny. It's a little it's fast. It's a little frenetic. It's a little frenetic. Yeah. It's a little manic. Are mm -hmm. you, you know, like, can you feel the, can you feel the ground? Mm -hmm. Which is also my therapist is always like that. She's like, wow, that's a lot. Can you take a breath? Can you feel the ground? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And I just noticed like, I need outside help still sometimes to even notice the pace I'm moving at yeah. because the fast pace can feel so good and satisfying to me. Like, right. I'm just like, I'm getting so much done and I'm healing all my wounds and I'm done, you know, and it's like, <laughs> okay, but like the fact that you're exhausted by six o'clock at night <laughs> is a sign that maybe you're moving way too fast mm -hmm. and could slow mm -hmm. it down. So my goal right now is a couple of nights of like eight or nine hours of sleep and just like, just... Mm, like versus feeling so exhausted that you're sleeping for like 12 hours. Oh no. <laughs> so what I do is I get like I'll that I'll just override that first wave of exhaustion that happens at 6 mm -hmm. and I'll just like keep doing stuff, right? I'm like, "Ooh, I got another piece to write. There's I a poem coming through." That you There's have another been staying up later than usual. I've been up so late. Yeah. I've been up so late and I've been like scrolling Right. There, you know, part of what happens also whenever these crises move in the world is I get tapped all the way back into social media realms. Mm -hmm. I'm like, someone somewhere is going to say something that comforts me or I, I need to know something. Like last night, I was like, OK, I'm going to bed. It's a reasonable hour. And then someone posted like Beyonce just removed the photos from all of her um, social media. She's about to drop something. And it was like, 
I was like, babe, I'm not that. I'm not. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not staying up for a Beyonce drop at midnight. Like, right. I will see it in the morning. Right. If it comes, which it didn't. And come she yet. played us as usual. I mean, but she. She's also like, I just. I want to. She. If if there's a master of edging in the world, it it's is Beyonce. Beyonce right. So I'm like, mm. let me just enjoy the edging that she's giving me. Let me feel it and just be in that. <laughs> but yeah, so that it was just like that where I'm like, okay. Now it's midnight. Now it's one or something. And my body does not really like to sleep past seven. Like I wake up and I've got ideas. And that's the partnership that I made for my writing life with the ancestors and the universe and whoever gives me guidance is I'll be available for it. Right. So, yeah, I think the goal is if I'm crawling into the bed like between nine and ten, it's so good. I'll often like read really naturally. Yeah. You know, but it's like that disconnecting from the digital. Even as I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, oh, I just need to set my phone just, down. I need a just, phone break. You need to leave your phone outside <laughs> of your bedroom. Yeah. Yes. So that's how I that's am. Good. I'm in need of a phone chill out moment. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we I'm glad we had this diagnosis moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, like what like, is it? <laughs> sounds like it's just a, a uh, yeah, I'm trying know, to move it. Regular the speed ass of addiction. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And like I um I keep bringing up the Liz Gilbert, Glennon Doyle um, episode conversation that they did. They did this two-part conversation. And the second part of it, um, at some point in there, Liz Gilbert talks about that. That's just like, if you're addicted to one thing, you're kind of addicted to, like, that's just in you, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's like, even if you're trying to, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to be sober from overeating addiction. I'm trying to be sober from getting too high. I'm trying to be sober from things. But it does it's like that energy can still keep, it's like, oh, well, what else? I mean, like, what else can I mm-hmm. overdo? <laughs> right. And having to be like, nothing. You can overdo meditation, bitch. Like, right. calm the fuck down <laughs> go yeah. in. Right. It's like you have to find what, what Octavia Butler called the positive obsession, right? Yeah. The one thing that's that, good the for The thing me. that's totally okay to be addicted to. Yeah. Um, what about you, my love? How are you feeling and doing? I'm doing so fucking good right now. <laughs> um, I'm you so really good. are. My life Dang. is so good. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, it's so funny. I have a friend who, like, I recently shared my um, my astrological chart with. Yeah. And she saw my my like really intense stellium in the seventh house where I have like five planets all together. And she was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, what? That's my power. That's my seat of power, bitch. Yeah. Um, so how did she respond to that? She was like, no, you're right. You're totally right. But also clearly you have to work really hard. And I was like, you're right. You're also totally right. I do have to work really, really hard here. Um, so it was a both and situation. She was right. And I was right. Um, <laughs> well, I'm just yeah. noticing as you said that, that I think I have four or five things also in my seventh house. I don't oh, know if you've ever noticed really? that before. Yeah. 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 Like I, it's, I'm it's just not a to- game. It's not a game to have a stellium. And for our listeners who aren't avid um, astrology people, the seventh house is the house of committed partnership. Um, and uh-huh. that doesn't necessarily just mean romantic partnership. It's like any kind of committed partnership area. Um, and so for me, um, like one way of thinking about why, why would my stellium, why would it be significant for me to have a stellium, which is when you have like three or more planets in the same sign? Why would it be like, like, um, 
significant for me to have that in the House of Committed Partnership. It just is a way of there's a lot of my life where I'm working on committed partnership. I invest a lot of meaning in committed partnership. It's a place that's very important to me. (laughs) And it's a place where I have to do a lot of work and learning and healing and growing. So that's, Mm. um, yeah. Singing my life with her words. She said. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So, but yeah, so I'll I'll just say I'm, and I'll say more about this during our flume of awe, but I just came out of, um, I just came out of a quarantine with the kids that was like really beautiful. And then right after the quarantine happened, I was able to see our favorite band, um, our mutual fandom band, uh, Tune Yards oh, yes, in friends. live performance um, on Tuesday night at um, the Fine Line, which is this really fun venue in Minneapolis. And they just gave an incredible, incredible performance. Um, and yeah, I just like, it was my first show that I saw post pandemic. I was seeing a lot of live music right before the pandemic hit. And then this was the first live event that I went to since. Um, And it was just like, at some point I remember just like pausing and kind of like peeking up and looking around the whole room and just taking in all Uh, just the reality that I was in a room with so many other people and we were all dancing and singing together, which is such a powerful human experience that I was like missing for the last two years. So um, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm in a really good mood. Um, Yeah. And maybe, maybe we should just go right into the flume of awe. Flume it. I will go. So for listeners who heard our last episode, you all will know that my kids had a COVID exposure. Um, one of my kids, actually two of my kids ended up testing positive for COVID over the course of the process. But So we all quarantined and we had such a completely different experience this time around of quarantine. Um, it was the first quarantine that we've experienced that was um, not in the middle of winter and over the course of a major holiday. So that helped. Uh-huh. Um, but it was also our, our first time having to do this in our new home. And having a big home with plenty of room plus a backyard and two kitty pools was like mm. an absolute game changer. <laughs> because, and this was really Maraid. Maraid like from day one was like, we need to set up the pools, mom. And I was like, time. the first day I was like, it's too cold out. It's not even going to be all that great to have them up. Maraid worked, organized me basically, like advocated for like a good 24 hours straight that like we really, and Maraid was like, I will do it. I will do it myself. If you just like, let as me. a Capricorn, I will do this. And literally at some point during the process of, a, of getting everything out and setting it all up, she was like running all over the place working really hard and then she walked past me and said wow I can work really hard when I want something oh yay <laughs> and I was like yep. yeah you can <laughs> that's right um, yeah be impressed with yourself amazing <laughs> um but yeah so they the kids engineered this setup for the kiddie pools <laughs> where it was a seven foot kiddie pool and a 10 foot kiddie pool side by side both of them filled with water so that then the kids could run and jump into one pool and end up in the second one. And it was and like, like hydroplane across hydroplane with like a floaty. With a floaty. Or yeah. Right? It okay. was really, really impressive. And, um, but 
you know, Maraid was inventing all kinds of games that involved getting in and out of the pool with balls that you then had to rush to another location in the yard and grab a floaty from the tree. And like, it was like a whole thing. But also the other, I mean, I cooked so much food. Mm -hmm. We had several friends um, deliver groceries, deliver meals. We had so much cuddle time. We watched all of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies in preparation for Jurassic World Dominion, which is dropping today. Um, Like we just, we really went in. Like we did a really good, and we really, really balanced between like TV movies and reading time and outside time and gardening time. And it was just really lovely. And I was like, man, um, I wouldn't wish... COVID on any of us again, but I really like the experience of just being home with my kids for a whole week mm-hmm. um, and being kind of forced into a situation where we couldn't do anything else. Um, it was just, it was really beautiful. That, that sounds was... really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking about how, <clears throat> and I'm trying to see if I can find this story. So I got to edit the guest edit Yes Magazine. Um, they did a whole episode. No, not what do you call a magazine? Issue. Issue. Um, focused on <laughs> pleasure An issue activism. on issues. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, I know what words are. Um, so they did this issue focused on pleasure activism that I got to guest edit. And mm-hmm. there's this writer who, uh, Tracy uh, Michelle Lewis Giggets, and she has a whole book on black joy. But she talked about like she was like 2022 was a great year. It was also a horrible year. And like try to be present with the the two things converging where it's like COVID is horrific. It's done a lot of harm. And the slowdown, the deep presence, the getting to be with family. 2020. The, she said 2020. Got it. What did I say? You yeah. said 2022. And I was like, it's not over yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <clears throat> time is a construct. So yeah. Um, but yeah, but she's talked about that, this dynamic, which is like, as COVID keeps adapting and shifting and changing and we keep figuring out, okay, this is something that happens. Now we know what happens. Like we have it. Y'all responded, responded so quickly. It was just like, okay, it's time to quarantine. This is what it looks like. Right. And because it was fairly mild, like getting to be like, actually we had this really beautiful, sacred, safe feeling time um, together of delicious togetherness, you know, opening summer, um, which is great also because it feels like school is lasting forever there right now. It really Um, is. So I'm glad that you had that together. Yeah. My flume of awe is I went and did, so it's been two years in the making. I got invited to do this video shoot for a project called Style Like You mm-hmm. and What's Underneath. And it's this mother-daughter pair who interview people and um, they're interviewing about your body as a place to be, how it feels to live inside of your body. And as they're asking you questions, you're removing items of clothing. You you wear a certain, you know, you just wear layers of clothing and then they'll sort of be like, okay, are you ready to take off this necklace now? Are you ready to take off that dress? Are you ready to take off the next thing? And Whoa. it's really revealing. Um, and the end of most of them are like, you're just in bra and panties, um, neither of which I wear. So I had to get creative and you'll, you'll see when the video comes out, but the awe, like I've been sitting in a feeling of awe and wonder since I did the shoot, which was about a week ago now. Right. And, um, for a couple of reasons, right. One is that 
you know, I think of myself as someone who loves my body. And I'm also concurrently someone who's always trying to change something about my body or still trying to hide parts of my body, right? Mm. And particularly my cellulite. And in the shoot, it was like the whole time since I since I agreed to do it, I was like, people are going to see cellulite. Like people are going to see my cellulite. There's nothing I can do <laughs> in right, this two-year right. period of time right. that will like make that not the case. And it was so fucking liberating. Like since the shoot happened, I have worn shorts outside. Hey. I wore like a shorter dress outside. I've just been looking at myself in the mirror differently and kind hot of- Hot girl summer 2022. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if it's hot girl summer, but it's just like me girl summer. Like it's just like, yes. that's what my body <laughs> fucking looks like. This yes. is me and I'm going to be me all summer and winter and also fall and spring. Like I'm just going to, this is my body and I'm really going to love it and let others love it and let others see it and whatever they think. I really don't care. Yeah, that that them. that's kind of the the awe is like mm-hmm. this is my sacred body that I get to live this life in and I want to just continuously keep moving like anytime there's like shame around any part of it I want to really turn and just be like this is my sacred body like shame what do you need here you know like what do you what are you trying to attend to because wow. I don't want you to, I don't want anything lost so I'm feeling mm. a lot of awe both that that kind of healing is still needed and that I was able to access it. <laughs> I love so. it. That is so cool. That is so, and I actually, so cool. I feel like this brings us in a way into our topic of today because- oh, but wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. Before you say that, I okay. have okay. to read something related to our flume of awe that a listener <gasps> posted on Instagram just today. This quote, I don't know where the quote is actually from. It looks like it's from Somatic Ecologies. But Ooh. the quote is, Capitalism is ideologically threatened by experiences of awe, not only because awe asks us to reanimate the other, but also because awe can't exist in the presence of urgency and scarcity. That's right. It is from Somatic Ecology. I saw that. Oh, I love that. Isn't that beautiful? We'll have to, yeah, let's And it feels very like notes. related to what you were just Everything. naming about like exactly. the there's no room for shame. I, I was like, I was just like, there's nothing to fix here. Capitalism, you will not be able to make a profit off of me looking in the mirror. Exactly. <laughs> no. um, and one of the things that really lands for me whenever I do this kind of work is how important it is for me to be the primary partner of my life, like that I'm the main person I need to be loving and being loved by, and then mm. building mm-hmm. relationships with others from that place. You know, I think of Eartha Kitt saying, I fall in love with myself and I want others to share it with. And so today, what we're talking about is love multiplied right? What does it look like to share our love in various kinds of relationships? And we want to talk about monogamy, open, non-monogamy, polyamory, you know, like there's a range here. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what we're going to dive into. And we always want to start off with bell hooks. So yes. So we have a few different quotes um, that we wanted to bring in today to help kind of frame up the conversation. This first one that we want to read is not actually from All About Love. It's from a different text that Bell Hooks wrote called Feminism is for Everybody. And in that book, she says that many feminists, quote, saw sexual monogamy with men as reinforcing the idea that the female body was property belonging to the individual male she was bonded with. Then in All About Love, Bell Hooks goes on to say, Choosing to be honest is the first step in the process of love. There is no practitioner of love who deceives. 
Once the choice has been made to be honest, then the next step on love's path is communication. And she also says in the same text, I want to know about the meaning of love beyond the realm of fantasy, beyond what we imagine can happen. I want to know love's truths as we live them. Yes. So Brilliant Bell um, offered us all about love, which I always find to be a fairly monogamous text and a fairly heterosexual text. But I felt like, you know, we felt like those quotes give kind of clues that can help lead us beyond that binary thinking of love arrangements into this other way, right? Which is Mm. a lot of people land in a monogamous relationship and they're not being honest about what they actually want, what they actually need, whether they're actually satisfied or not. And so it actually distorts what love might be possible in that scenario. And I, I feel I've helped so many people in circumstances about this feel like, oh, wait, I actually want to be sleeping with that person over there. Or, oh, wait, I'm actually, um, you know, we have very, very different sexual needs or sexual desires or sexual timing or something else. Mm -hmm. And so being first honest about like what is working here, what isn't working here, we can shift it if we need to. And then I think the second thing around fantasy feels so important because I think monogamy is often a fantasy. And I think all these other variations on relationship are often fantasized as well. Oh, yeah. And instead of being like, what is the truth? of what's possible in the realm of love. So, (laughs) (laughs) and like, how do we all get honest about it? Mm -hmm. So first I wanted to give a brief, like what we mean by the terms, if someone's coming into the conversation and they're they're like, maybe I've heard these terms, maybe not. Um, There's some really great books that are out there now that allow people, there's Opening Up by uh, Trista Tormentino. There's The Ethical Slut. There's pleasure activism there's books that give (laughs) some guidance around this stuff (laughs) not to shamelessly Um, self-promote but my book well it's so interesting to become a reference for myself but i'm like oh yeah i I do know something about this (laughs) um so one is you know the relationship that most of us learn about are taught about is monogamy and what monogamy means is a committed relationship between two people so two people they articulate the commitment they usually articulate it publicly in the in the sort of U.S. and capitalist and religious p- traditions, it's done in the church. That is also approved by the state, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it is a financial arrangement or a synagogue is, or a mosque. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Ex- thank you. Right. It's done in a religious holy place um, with paperwork from the government, and it's a financial arrangement. Um, and that's like when you get to the merit. You know, that's sort of seen as the pinnacle or the peak of monogamy. But people can be in monogamous relationships without being married. But the, the the main point of it is just I've made a commitment to just be with you. You've made a commitment to just be with me. Mm. Infidelity happens when there's a breach of that commitment, right? We've made a commitment and someone's operating outside of that commitment. Either they, you know, have one-time cheating, they're having an affair. It can be an emotional affair. It doesn't always have to be a physical affair, but that's what infidelity is. And I want to mention the emotional affair because a lot of times I think people are actually polyamorous inside themselves, but not operating with integrity. <laughs> They're already like, I do love multiple people. <laughs> um, right, but right. I'm but technically I didn't have stick anything inside anyone else. So it's all good, right? <laughs> um, so infidelity is when you're breaching the spirit of the commitment, right? Then there's non-monogamy. 
And it can be ethical non-monogamy, which is, you know, highly communicative. Everyone knows what's going on. You know, all the boundaries are being discussed. It can also be not necessarily ethical. You know, it's just like, I'm out here hoeing, doing my Uh thing, right? (laughs) I'm not with just one person. I have sexual and emotional bonds with multiple people. Uh Um, Then open relationships. So there is some committed relationship in place, but it allows space for other sexual and romantic bonds. And open relationships, in some of them, there's a high, high level of communication around what happens beyond the commitment. In some, there's almost none, but there's just an agreement of like, it's open, you know, but we are in a commitment here. Some of those hierarchicalize that. So it's like, I'm your primary and so on and so forth. And then the polyamory, um, I would say is sort of on the opposite end from monogamy, which the only idea is that you're in multiple love relationships and it can be multiple committed love relationships but it's multiple relationships. They may or may not have any hierarchy between them, but it's saying I can be in love with multiple people and navigate relationships between them. Right. And I think that, I think that the thing that maybe is a really helpful thing to emphasize for our listeners in what Adrian just said is that like the thing that distinguishes polyamory from non-monogamy or open relationships is specifically the presence of love, right? That whereas, whereas in non-monogamy and open relationships, like we could be looking at a variety of types of bonds, right? That like, like it's, you know, it's fine to have an open relationship where like your, your love relationship is your committed partner. And then maybe you have sex with other people, but we're not defining those other relationships as really being about love. And polyamory is really more focused on like feeling like love and in loveness feelings with multiple people at the same time. Exactly. And one of the things I want to, and there's like all kinds of micro definitions and labels and names that people use inside of this spectrum. So Our goal is not to leave anyone out of it, but just to begin the conversation of like, here's this wide range. And both of us are experimenters in that wide range. We're learning. We're not experts. Right. But I do want to affirm that for most people, there is a nature to this, like that we have a nature towards being in a monogamous circumstance or being in a more polyamorous or non-monogamous. And I find it not helpful to judge around what people's preferences are, but rather to get really good at communicating around it. And part of what we're in right now, I think, is a multi-generational phase of experimenting and reimagining what these relationships and um, in both love and sex can look like. From the summer of love till now, honey. Exactly. But with the, <laughs> the systems of capitalism and patriarchy are really falling down like they they, we, they keep having these like, oof, they fall and then there's like a resurgence and then it's, ugh, you know, falling down. Right now we're in a big period where it's all falling apart. We're deconstructing. We are examining it all. And I think one of the things that's really important for people to know is growing up inside of patriarchy and capitalism makes it very hard to know our nature around this. So for many of us, the first time we're like, I think I might be in love with multiple people, or I think I want to, I have a strong desire for someone that I'm not in commitment with. It can feel shameful. It can feel like I'm doing something bad. It can feel like I'm doing something that's unnatural. And that's not true, right? Mm. The truth is there's a lot of different ways of loving. There have been many, many ways that people have constructed relationships throughout the history of humanity. Right. And right now there's actually a bent towards open and non-monogamy and it can be very cool 
just because it's cool doesn't mean it's for you, right? You might still be someone who's like, I see all that. I have a lot of love in my heart. I still want my one boo for me, right? right, right so right. it's being able to be honest about your preferences, honest about how things feel inside the relationship and honest if they're changing. Okay? And when you say, when you say, so just to slow it down for listeners, when you say our nature, yes. you're really meaning like, what is your natural tendency in relationship or what like would a, be your natural tendency if you had the freedom to follow to, your to own choose tendency. any of the things right mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. i know a lot of people who have spent a lot of time in non-monogamous relationships and non-monogamous spaces and then they meet someone who it's like in this circumstance you know i really want to be in a monogamous relationship that means that their nature is open, that they're able to move through the spectrum, right? It doesn't mean, oh, you were secretly monogamous all along. Right, right. (laughs) right? Um, Or it doesn't mean you're betraying some non-monogamy and vice versa, that people Mm -hmm. might be monogamous in a monogamous relationship, go through a breakup and then be like, oh, I feel actually much more at ease having two or three lovers. And that doesn't mean like, oh, you're secretly this. It's like, no, there was just a preference. There's a nature to me. And mm-hmm. it's being it's actually very circumstantial for many of us or situational. Like it really depends on the other people involved, right? Um, I often think trying to define this as just like an individual in a bubble is where we the first oh, mistake yeah. we make, right? Yeah, totally. So I wanted to give us both some room to actually just bring our own experiences into this conversation, like what we have practiced and what we know about it <laughs> and what we think about it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you if you want to start us off. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that has been fun in prepping for and thinking about this conversation is that you and I have like practiced, we've both experienced open relationships and polyamory. Yep. And, um, but in really, really different life contexts. So I, I'm bringing in the experience of having attempted, um, polyamory in the context of, an open relationship in the context of being married and having children, which is a really, really different context, you know, (laughs) to, to attempt all of this stuff than it is then, then when there aren't kids involved, right? The stakes are, the stakes are different. They're just really different when kids are involved. Mm. And, um, and it's really different to begin your experience as a parent where like from the outset of your experience parenting, there's multiple loving partners involved to have various roles in your children's lives yeah. than it is to go from like, we are in a monogamous relationship where we are the parents of these children. And then now we're going to try to open the relationship to involve other people Um and we haven't necessarily yet discerned what those other people's roles will be in our children's lives, right? That's right. Um, so, yeah, I I feel like for me a lot of this stuff is in the rear view. You know, I mm. feel like um, I feel like I learned <laughs> I learned a lot more about my relationship that was monogamous. Like more was revealed about it once it was opened. Ah, yeah. And I that think makes sense. it led me to like one of the first big lessons that I learned in the in the open relationship and polyamory experiment, which is that um 
Um, if you are in a monogamous relationship, um, opening, opening your relationship is not going to fix your monogamous relationship, but it will, (laughs) it will absolutely reveal your relationship to you, you know, and that is beneficial. That is an incredibly beneficial experience, even if it's painful and fucked up and awful, which a lot of it was in my experience, but like, Mm. You know, but I think that I see a lot of people um, or I've seen like in my time period as an adult who's in in community with lots and lots of different people who are attempting this. I've seen a lot of people who's like from monogamy, their entry point into an open relationship or polyamory is like there's something wrong inside the relationship. And this seems like an answer. Um, (laughs) And yep. So that's like lesson number one. It's not going to be an answer, but it will be a process of revelation. You know, it'll help you understand what the root structure is to the problem inside your relationship. You know, like that is very powerful. Um, You know, so like I can say from the other side of it, I don't regret. I don't regret it. Um, even though, even though it fundamentally changed my life in ways that I wouldn't have predicted at the time. Uh Um, I think the other thing that I see from like the other end of having done this with kids involved is that like, there's some, (laughs) and this actually feels like it relates to our last episode about like love the children that I think part of what, part of what can happen in, um, in some people's relationships and some communities is that be- if, if people are entering or they're opening a relationship or they're entering polyamory because of like despair or because of like, like there's something that's messy inside them that need that they're needing to feel like is being healed or sourced in some way through sex and romance. Yeah. Um, that can get really messy for children. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I have like some things that I think about now when I talk to other people about this, like, like, one, just that like if you're experimenting with open with opening your relationship and you are starting to date other people and you have kids, yeah. that those other relationships need to be seriously pressure tested before those people get introduced to your children. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because because, you know, there is a lot of fantasy involved in opening up. There's a lot of fantasy involved in the in the outset of the experience right which means that you can be projecting a lot of things onto other people that you're that you're engaging in that aren't actually true Mm -hmm. (laughs) right and -hmm. you don't want to find those you don't want to find out the things that aren't true in the context of those people meeting your kids right um like like i i strongly believe that children deserve to still experience as much stability and security as possible inside their homes, even as their parents are experimenting and figuring things out. Um, and where I have seen things really go off the rails is when the parents aren't slowing down to think about how the kids are experiencing what's happening above their heads, right? That's right. Because the kids are actually witnessing and experiencing all of it. They're just not able to interpret it the same way as the adults. That's right. Um, so I think about that, about like you pressure testing relationships with other people before 
How do you pressure test a relationship, Autumn? That's a really good question. Yeah. Some, and I would say, I would say, like, <clears throat> there are a lot of ways to pressure test a new relationship, right? Like mm. spending significant time with that person with other people who know you, mm. right? Um, spending, like, doing activities that are challenging with the other person and seeing mm -hmm. how, how do they react? How do you react? How do the two of you react together? Um, giving enough time to have gone by in the relationship that you actually have some pretty serious conflicts happen, right? Yeah. Like you shouldn't introduce someone to your children as one of your new partners in your life until you've had significant conflict with that person and you know how they are in conflict, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> like that protects the kids from like, conflict being something that can spin out later uh, like where you're like holy shit I did not know you were like this totally yeah. yeah and also like it and it protects you from like finding yourself involved with someone who maybe actually you know can't handle intensity right like because um parenting is a very intense thing yeah um that's right. and you need and and I think oftentimes you know one of the difficulties that parents deal with yeah um when they open up is at finding themselves in relationships with non-parents, right? And that's a whole dynamic that you have to navigate when you're like, you're mm -hmm. a parent, you have a whole set of responsibilities and things that you are constantly having to navigate that the other person has no context for, right? And that in, of, that in of itself is a pressure test. Like, can your other partner actually handle the nature of the responsibilities that go with your life and that your life isn't going to be about them in the same way? Right. That maybe a typical yeah. relationship would feel. So because well, also I feel like I hear a lot of parents who are part who are parenting and trying to date is like there's a recognition of like the relationship I have with my kid or kids is a, a partnership that is. Oh, yeah. Fundamental, non-negotiable. Yeah. Like I yeah. absolutely orient to my kids as my primary partner. Right. Yeah. Not in a sexual way, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like but they are my primary life partners until they are old enough to leave my home and go out on yeah. their own. Like that is the those that's the primary relationship in my life. And so anyone that I'm with, you know, like, yes, has to understand that first and foremost. And sometimes, you know, particularly when you're dealing with like two parents in a household mm -hmm. where both folks are trying to date other people, you know, what I mean, mm -hmm. it can get really messy, which leads me to the other lesson that I feel like <laughs> is really important, which is don't shit where you eat. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So your kids don't deserve to be exposed to all of the messiness that happens in mm. the newness of polyamory. And I'm not saying that polyamory in and of itself is necessarily messy, yeah. but when it's new, it's messy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. When it's new to you, when and when you're trying it out for the first time, especially if you're going from monogamy to polyamory. Um, it will be messy and there's no way around it, but the kids have to be protected from that and they deserve to be protected from it. Mm -hmm. um, so those are my, you know, I, I think it's like absolutely a noble, like a thing to, to try um, yeah. to move from monogamy to non-monogamy because I think for so many, I mean, there are so many people I know whose marriages have been saved, whose relationships have been fundamentally transformed through the ability to experience this kind of freedom. Like it's yeah. worth it. But the thing that can, the thing that can kind of set it up for failure is if we're not tending to, well, who needs to be protected inside this? That's beautiful. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'll stop there.
because yeah. I could go on, as you know, I would love to know, <laughs> like, yeah, like what your how would you talk about what some of the lessons are that you've learned through your own experiences of polyamory? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I would say one is it took me a while to understand that I have a polyamorous nature. Like I grew up continuously waiting for like the big monogamous relationship to come along. And in the meantime, I had developed all these really deep loving relationships with the friends in my life. And I remember having a lover who had a partner, had a long-term significant partner and we met and it was really beautiful and, and, and was like, we're falling in love. And I was like, how, how, you know, um, like <laughs> right. we're just having sex and we're over here. And it was like, no, but intimacy is happening. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand how. And she said, you know, with your friends, you love all of your friends very deeply and you can track what's going on with them and you can like mm. love them and pour out from a big heart to all of them. And there's no problem. Why would having sex change that? Why would this change that? And it was so mm-hmm. like, aha, you know, I was like, oh yes. Like it's just being that way. So I know right now it's like, I look at my inner circle as an inner circle of people that I have completely fallen in love with, that I absolutely adore, that are all loves of my life, who I move through all of this with, right? Yeah. And it's where I, those that friendship realm of multiple loves is where I have learned um, about how wide my intimacy can be. Mm. It's where I have learned to Uh, how much I can track of other people's lives. And like, I can tell when I get a little too far where I'm like, oh, I'm forgetting, like, you know, I'm forgetting stuff. I'm forgetting what someone's told me. And then I'm like, okay, that's not because I have a bad memory. It's because I'm I'm overextended somehow and I need to make some adjustments. Interesting. Yeah. That's so smart to be able to pick up on like, what is the what is the particular data for you that lets you know when you're overextended Mm -hmm. in relationship? In, in relationships, mm-hmm. right? It's like if I can't remember, if I can't remember from conversation to conversation, then there's something in my energy that's either like, oh, the the interest, like literally, I've had to let stuff go because I'm like the interest is not mutual. I can't keep, I can't, right. like I'm not extended in the same way. Right. It helps me communicate my needs really honestly, and especially I tend to form my deepest relationships in triads. Um, so I'll be in these relationships where it's like you know, there's two, three of us. And so there's always this like navigation of like, yeah, like we're all in, like, you know, just the, the getting into the all in trio <laughs> tends to be big. I love that. Um, and it often needs a little negotiation. Like, are we ready, you know, to all three go on a vacation together? Right. And right. form the group text and like, <laughs> you know, right. are we, are we committed? Right. So I, I have a lot of practice at that level and I take it very seriously. I've also learned I have an immense amount of love to give. Like um, I can pour a lot of love forth into the world and it really helps me. It makes me feel satisfied and nourished to pour it and be met. So I also have a lot of experience with non-monogamy um, mm-hmm. in my sexual and romantic life where I'm, you know, basically I think of it as the experience I'm having when I'm between big romantic partners mm-hmm. is that I'm just, I fall into this very easeful non-monogamy. And yeah. I know that it feels like for me when I'm in non-monogamy and it's like chill, I'm like, I don't feel a lot of jealousy. I feel excited about the other people. I can 
somewhat track what's going on, but I, I don't really need, you know, I'm like, I don't need to know everything that's happening in your life. Right. I don't need to be the primary support person for you. Right. I love that. <laughs> right? I'm just like, yes. let's just have like, you know, really good intimacy or let's just have um, even the good dates and that kind of stuff. But it doesn't have to be like rom- romantic level investment in your spiritual growth, right? It's not a love relationship mm. in the definition that Bell Hooks Up lists for us. Mm. And in non-monogamy, I'm often able to feel compersion, right? This feeling of I am overjoyed by what you're up to. Like when someone comes back and they're like, oh, you know, one of my lovers will be like, I just had such great sex. And I'll be like, yes, I'm so, so excited for you. for you. That's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I have also learned through a couple of relationships, I'm like, I don't really want to know too much about it. Oh, like yeah. I had one relationship where every single time they did anything, they wanted to come and like debrief it in detail with me. No. And I was like, oh, I'm not, no. I'm like, I just want to talk. I just want to be here with our vibe, you right. know? Right. And so that didn't work. You know, I was just like, oh, I don't want to spend the whole time we're together talking about everyone else you, you're seeing. Yeah. Um, although I'm happy for you seeing that. Then them. it feels more like a coaching relationship. Yeah. It's just something else. Right. Yeah. I think we're just at the beginning of understanding the kind of relationships that are going to take us through to the next era of humanity. So I think that this era has been defined by the monogamous relationship. And I think there's a lot of experimentation happening to figure out in an unstable world, with an unstable climate, with unstable economy, I think that the more relationships we can manage and hold well, like the the more we can have a community that has multiple formations that are all like accepted, you know, everyone can be like, okay, this is what works for me. And I know how to communicate well in and about it. That's how we actually end up in an era where humans and particularly kids are getting the amount of care that they need. People who have mental and uh, physical disabilities are getting the love and care and support that they need. Folks who are on the move <laughs> are getting this. Like, I feel like there's something about redistributing how we think about love in relationship to community that is happening right now that I find very exciting and I, I want to participate in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking as you were just saying that, that like, I think, I don't know that we talked about this at the top so much. I mean, mm. Bell Hooks gets into this a little bit, but yeah, um, I think it's so important to understand the current constructs we have around legal marriage, monogamy, all of those things as being fundamentally about property. Exactly. And, um, and being able mm-hmm. to like accrue and pass on wealth yes. and, you know, like the, just the way that white monogamy, heterosexism and capitalism and white supremacy are all, it's all the yes. same system. So yes. I think that's important to just for us to not lose sight of in this falling apart that we're talking about that like, exactly. there's a reason why that system feels like it's dying. And it's yes. not just because it's not cool. It's also because there's a whole bunch of things that it serves that we we actually we don't want to we don't want to perpetuate the other thing I wanted to say um before we close out is that I think of now in the wake of my experience I think of jealousy itself as a construct of monogamy yes because yes (laughs) I experienced what I experienced when I went from being in a monogamous relationship to being in an open relationship is that my whole my whole story around myself as a jealous person that was being reinforced inside my marriage was blown apart once my marriage opened up. And I was like, I'm not a jealous person. 
Whatever I was experiencing that I and my partner were interpreting as jealousy was actually alarm bells inside my body that were letting me know that something was wrong. Right. Like not, it wasn't actually, but, but, but being able to call it jealousy made it a convenient way for everyone to ignore what, what it was actually pointing to. Right. And so now I think of that as like, oh, that's just another one of the ways that we are made to feel like the thing that we are actually experiencing with our bodies isn't real. Well, it's like gaslighting. (laughs) It is. I mean, it's a gas, it's a systemic gaslighting. And I I deeply agree with this because when I'm in a non-monogamous situation or a polyamorous situation, one of the things I find is I'm so much more grounded and centered in myself that when something else is happening, even if I, I if I feel jealousy, it's usually a light heart. It's like, I literally long to be where you are. Right. Or I literally wish I was that right. person's hands. Like, I want to be touching you too. Mm-hmm. But it's lighthearted. It's like, you go and feel that and it's all good because it doesn't diminish anything in me. And so far for me, I have not been able to um, find that place in monogamy where the desire of another or the the pursuit of another or the whatever it is of another doesn't mean a diminishment, right? Mm. The truth, that es- essential aspect of like, I'm not a jealous person is true no matter what formation of relationship I'm in. So then it's paying attention to what are the behaviors I've been trained to think I need to do in this formation. Yes. Like just because I'm non-monogamous doesn't mean I'm hoeing out and sleeping with 20 people. I might still just sleep with one person, but my attention is wherever it is. <laughs> right. right. Like I know lots yeah. of people who identify as hoes and are monogamous. Yes. Um <laughs> And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, before we go, I want to grab some top culture from you. What yes. is blowing your mind in terms of top culture right now? <laughs> okay, my top culture, I'm so excited to share with the world, um, <laughs> which is that one of my favorite bands, Tank and the Bangas. One of my yes. favorite bands, um, <laughs> Tank and the Bangas. Was that a Vinny voice? That- no, that was my Target Lady impression. Oh, Target Lady. Okay, I was One like, of I just my missed. Favorite I was like, bands. <laughs> I'm really glad you clarified it by doing yes. it again. Thank you. Um, um, Tang of <laughs> the Bangas just released a new album, Red Balloon, which is a follow up to, to Green, Green Balloon. Balloon. Um, the album is banging. It's so 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 good. Mm. Um, but the other reason why I wanted to bring this up in our podcast is because maybe for the first time ever. And it may not ever happen again. Okay. I learned about the release of a major cultural item before Adrian did. It's so true. I'm literally texting Adrian being like, oh my God, girl, this song that I'm listening to on the album right now is totally related to blah, blah, blah that we were just talking about. And Adrian's like, wait, what are you talking they about? They released an album. And I'm like, oh my God. Did it finally happen? It finally happened. I knew about something before you did. <laughs> this is momentous. This is really momentous. It's a and big deal. You have been knocking, but I, I won't let you in. You read the sign before. You can't come in. You cannot browse my eyes. I'm not open. And furthermore, you need to show. I just have to say, I'm enjoying the feeling of having learned about something from you that I get to then anticipate. I'm like, dang, this is like 
time keeps on slipping into the future. It this does. is powerful. Like there may be a day, <laughs> it might be 20 years from now, but there may be a day where the tables have turned and I'm really the one who's introducing you to things. I'm here for it. I'm super here for it. I don't it. really like, think it's going to happen, but like, you know. I don't I don't think so, but I do think I'm here for it. I'm open to it and this moment was wonderful. Yes. Um <laughs> I love your, it. So my culture? top culture is I have two. One is um, so I've been kind of going down this whole Maggie Rogers like oh, like incredible I love her um, rabbit hole where I I just think what a gifted 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 artist and human. I watched the video where Pharrell discovers Maggie Rogers a while ago, and I just felt this like. It felt like it spoke to the part of me that's like awakening again as an artist and being like, I, I'm giving myself permission to just like make some music and and like the way you watch her little face and she's watching him watch it. His mind is being blown. He's like and about then, to cry the whole time. Like he, yes, the whole time he's like, holy shit, this is good. And then she can't stop bopping her head because she's like, yeah, my song is amazing. My music is amazing. And <laughs> I have, I keep having that experience where I'm listening to my songs and I'm like, I love it. You know, like, so Maggie Rogers has been kind of, um, a teacher for me in mm-hmm. entering this this self. And then she just released a song called Want Want that is so incredible where she's like growing up, you know, so she, now that was like when she was maybe, I don't know, 18, 17 or something. She mm-hmm. looks like a tiny little baby. And now she's like 28. She's like, I'm coming into myself. I'm growing up. And this song is all about sex and desire and wanting yourself and feeling super powerful in the world. If you want, want what you want, want, then you want it. like a banger like it's just like every single lot layer of the music just feels thick and luscious and powerful and like and in just the music that, video she's wearing the cutest wig and she just the looks cutest so wig. sexy she yes. does i'm so proud of i just feel like this pride you know when i'm like yes come into your sexual selves you know like that's mm-hmm. wonderful and then the other one i have which i've been combining i put on the want want song and then i play this video game but <laughs> this video game is called breath of the wild and it's been out for a while Mm -hmm. it's so stunning like it's just like i and it took me a while to get like i need to feel like i have some competence in a game before i can really start to notice what's happening around me so for the first like month i was trying to play it i was just like i keep dying these monsters like i just don't understand how to play this game i'm always (laughs) under attack and then i just like slowed it down and i was like oh the game shows you like each of these small challenge, like you don't want to rush past any of these people that you're supposed to talk to. The game is constantly unveiling itself to you. Like right. the skills come as you need them. And it really feels like you're running around on these mountains and fields all over the place. And it's just, so now it's I finally- It's so beautiful. It's so game. gorgeous. And I left like the kind of starting area and I'm out adventuring now in other par- portions of the map. And I figured out how to fight the monsters and I'm learning how to use my rubrics and I'm learning how to sleep and rest and restore my heart's powers. And like, it just feels like a really, like, I feel like I get transported and go somewhere else to play this game. Honestly, the only time I've (laughs) ever played this game, I drowned repeatedly because I kept getting so distracted by how beautiful the game was. (laughs) Yes. I would fall into water and drown. I'm literally in a, I've found, I don't know what to do right now because I've, I'm at the bottom of like a set of cliffs 
and there's only water and I just, I'm like, I don't know what to, what, like, I can't figure it out, but I know I will. I know I will figure it out. I'll just keep playing. And there's a way that I have to like relinquish, like there's something about the fact that you can just die. Oh, it's like game over. Do you want to keep going? And it's like, yeah, yes, (laughs) yes. I died. Bring me back to life and let me keep trying to beat this monster or figure out a way around them. (sighs) That's our show. Wow. Thanks for Mm -hmm. listening to our show. We're on the fuck Twitter and on the fuck Instagram (laughs) at End of the World PC. And we're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. Oh, my goodness. You can make a sustaining (laughs) donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. We just reached 500 500 patrons, patrons. which feels so momentous. It was a goal that we had set for ourselves at some point that was like, this would mean that our show is heading in the right direction. And Mm -hmm. so we know we're on track. We're on track. Another incredible thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're an iPhone person or just write us, um, write about us on social media, but like positively, <laughs> like post about us and then tag us in it and then we'll repost it. Thank you. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the delicious Zach Rosen and it's transcribed by Jess Pinkham. Music for today's show <laughs> comes from. It's spiritually delicious. Spiritually delicious. Music for today's show comes from Tune Day, Alani Run, and Mother Cyborg. I'm like, no one is eating Zach. Don't eat him. <laughs> Don't He's eat our him. Producer. He's we our producer. Him. Okay. And I love us. I love we you. Out. Bye, sister. Bye.